Thank you very much, Charity. A couple questions as we begin tonight. Does God exist? Does God exist? My next question, does Satan exist? Does Satan exist? We, I think, readily would say that God does exist. And he has existed in eternity past and will exist in eternity future. I think most of us would probably say Satan does exist. We would say that in the future, he is going to be ultimately defeated. The cross provided the victory, but the total victory has not yet been seen. If we look in Genesis, we find that the enemy began, and his basic strategy is always the same. To lure people to doubt God, his goodness, or what he has said. His basic strategy is also to violate God's order. The serpent came to Eve. God spoke to Adam. And he has been doing that down through the pages of history. If you look at Matthew chapter 4, you will find in Matthew chapter 4, as a tempter is coming to Jesus, immediately after Jesus is told that, you know, you are my son, with you I am well pleased, the tempter said, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. If implies maybe you're not. And again, implying doubt in what God had said. And basically, Satan's primary method is doubt. To doubt God's word, to doubt God's goodness, to doubt God's existence, and so on. So tonight we want to consider some of the basic ways that the enemy uses doubt. The first one would be that he tempts us. He tempts the world at large to neglect Creator God and a correct gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, someone would volunteer to turn to Genesis 1 and read verses 1 and 2 for me, and then someone, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, and someone, John 1, 1 through 4. Genesis 1 and 2, Sammy. And then, just one second, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, volunteer. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Aaron and John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, I think it's 1 through 4, 1 through 5, volunteer. Liran. Okay, stand up, Sammy, nice and loud. Okay, thank you, Sammy. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Aaron. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he spoke 
sustaining all things by his powerful word after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Thank you, Aaron. And John 1, Leron. Thank you, Leron. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created. Hebrews 1, God created through Christ. John 1, the word referring to Christ, created. The world in which we live basically does not believe in a creator God. Many churches in our country do not believe in a creator God. If there is no creator God, the authority of Christ, the authority of scriptures are undermined and you have no need of the gospel of Christ. Now you say, hold it, pastor. Creator God is all around and I really believe in a creator God. I'm not saying you don't, but we are daily bombarded with information that says there is no creator God. Occasionally in my older age, I will turn on talk radio. And to be very honest, I become almost physically sick as I listen because there's the bemoaning of how bad our county is or how bad our country is and what we must do to change it. I'm not doubting things may be bad. But I happen to believe in a creator God who created the universe and there's a fall came, a curse came, and scripture repeatedly tells us that things are not going to be good as we live in this fallen world. But there is a new heaven and a new earth and so on coming in the future. So I can pick up the newspaper and read about an earthquake in Japan, tsunami. Can read about the corruption in our county. Can read about people being very upset at national debt. Health care. And how those elected to Congress aren't always keeping their promises and so on with a confidence that a creator God is in control. I've read the end of the book. But there's no end of the book if there's no beginning of the book. If there's no creator God, there's nothing at the end. We're bombarded with that. Our school system in America, you will go and spend seven or eight hours a day in a school system that denies there's a creator God. That's the world in which we live. You turn on the news. You never hear at the end of the news. Now, I just want to encourage you, stop and ponder that God is the creator and God is going to bring about something good at the end. So relax. I found it interesting 
that Marv Olosky, who is the editor of World Magazine, was invited to be on Glenn Beck's program. And in the course of the conversation, Marv Olosky brought up his worldview of Christ. And that goes back to creator, even though he didn't get back to creation. Beck brought up his worldview, which neglected that. And the ultimate outcome, what was aired was what Olasky, Marv Olasky brought up about Christ was deleted. We are bombarded with all kinds of information that says there is no creator. As we're bombarded with that, we have to come back time and time again to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. John 1, 1 through 4, that the word created. Hebrews 1, that through Christ, God created. Because if we don't come back to that repeatedly, after a while, we begin to think like the world. And we become depressed at what the world becomes depressed. And we become alarmed about the things that the world becomes alarmed, alarmed about. Rather than a deep confidence in God as creator. See, if you have no beginning, if you have no Genesis 1-1, you have nothing else. You delete Genesis 1. You want to add through 11? You can. You have nothing. Because if there's no creator, there's no serpent, there's no Adam, there's no Eve, there's no fall, and if there's no fall and no Adam and no Eve, there's no Christ. And the enemy just undermines in every possible way that there is no creator. He's been doing that ever since the beginning of time. The whole issue of evolution is not new. That's been around since the beginning of time. Very, very prevalent at certain points in time. But he'll get us to doubt that God created. Now we are told repeatedly that creation depends upon what scripture says. Well, I don't doubt that, but you can find evidence of a creator God as you do some research and look at the world in which we live. But any other alternative to creation is also based on someone's word. You can get a biology textbook out and you can read it, and they will say how the world evolved. You're taking someone's word. are you more willing to take my word at what happened when I had a wreck about 34 years ago? Are you more willing to take what Aaron would say in light of what I told him or what Bud would say in light of what I told him? Whose word would you sooner accept? I trust you would take mine because I was there. 
See, God was there when he created. And he's the one who says, in the beginning, God created. We're taking his word, an eyewitness. John 1, Hebrews 1, talks about Christ creating. He was there. He's creator. He's an eyewitness. We're going to take their word. So we can go the alternative and say there is no creator. You know, things just kind of got here somehow or the other. Well, you're going to have to take someone's word who was not there. Someone who is reading evidence from thousands of years after the event. But what does the enemy do? Undermines God as creator. So what does that allow for? The individual to do as they please. No, I can do as I please. So I will set my rule, I will set my law, and the next person sets theirs, and everything's fine until we have a disagreement on what is best. So I think it's okay to rob your house. I have the freedom to do that. Well, you say, no, you don't. Well, sure I do. There's no absolute standard, so I can rob your house if I want. Well, you say, no, you can't. Well, if you don't think I can, I'll show you. And you say, but if you rob my house, then I'm going to shoot you. Well, you can't do that. Well, yes, I can if I want to. And that leads to all kinds of issues. That is happening in our country. More and more, there's no creator God, so I can do as I please, because there's no creator God, there's no absolute standard, and you begin to have anarchy. So the enemy is more than happy just to lure us away from believing in a creator God. Foundational to everything else. If there is no creator God, you have no scripture. If there's no creator God, there is no absolute standard for how to live. So, do as you please. And it just results in one difficulty after another. And my encouragement is to you recognize how the world bombards us, tempts us to believe that there is no creator God. Most of TV, most movies, most sports, most commercials deny a creator God. And they teach you to be the center of your world. there is no standard. And I'm not saying you can avoid all that, and I'm not necessarily recommending you avoid it. I'm just saying be aware of it. And come back to Creator God over and over again. You know, watch that commercial. That commercial was telling me to make me the center of my world. You deserve this. I don't deserve anything. You know, Creator God doesn't teach me to make me the center of the world, my world. Now watch that commercial and they say, you know, you get this new car, you get this new whatever, you're going to really be content. It's an empty well. I've been that route so many times. The Creator God, the Creator Jesus Christ is the only one who can bring contentment. So I sat in biology class when I was in college and listened to the prof expound about how the world get here, and I thought to myself, 
<clears throat> Poor guy. He's going down a dead end street. And I had to come back time and time again to God is creator. Christ is creator. The spirit of God is involved in creation. That's one way the enemy lures us. I think it's the primary way that the enemy lures us. If he can get us on that, he got us. Don't have to worry about anything else. If there's no God as creator, there's nothing else to worry about. And it's the primary area that he works. A second temptation that he brings, he seeks to lure us, is to tempt us to doubt his existence. Thus we don't see we're in a spiritual battle. Thus we ignore temptation. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he says some things as he concludes his book. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally, you know, the last, more or less the last thing he's going to discuss in his letter. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now when he talks about our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers, go back to chapter 1 of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll begin reading. In the middle of verse 19, Paul is praying that they might understand God's power. In the middle of verse 19, that power is like the working of his mighty strength. That is God's mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also the one to come. Christ is far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. And then they're talked about again in chapter 6. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Oh, how easy it is to forget that. We see it all the time. We think if we get some of our elected officials out of office and someone else into office, things are going to change. We think if we get a better judge, things are going to change. If I can get rid of this coworker, things are going to change. If I'm on a different job, things are going to change. <clears throat> if my children or my parents responded differently, things are going to change. If Ruth had just changed, our marriage would be better. Now you can put yourself in that situation also. If my kid behaved differently, I wouldn't be such a rotten parent. 
my parents weren't so rotten to me, I'd be a better kid. What are we doing? We're being tempted to doubt the enemy's existence. We're being tempted to think that our battle is against people. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. You know, that's where the battle is. So what does the enemy come along? He gets us hung up on a host of other things. You know, that involve people. So you read the newspaper. Well, if we can just get different people elected, country will change. Well, we've been doing that for 200 years, and it seems to be going downhill. Well, if I just get a different husband or a different wife, and we go after a different man or woman, and we find the person really didn't make a world of difference. Oh, if I just had different co-workers, things would be different. I think most every job has some struggles with co-workers. See, the enemy wants us to believe we battle people rather than being in a spiritual warfare against authorities, against rulers, against the powers of this world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. I don't know if you're like this. You drive down the road, and I'll give one for the ladies after a while. You drive down the road and the driver in front of you or behind you or whatever does something that just irritates you to the nth degree. And you start having not so nice thoughts about that driver. And if they shaped up things, it would be different. You're forgetting you're in a spiritual battle. You just cleaned your house and the kids come prating in with those muddy shoes because it's spring. Think if it wasn't for these kids, life would be a lot easier. We can look in the telephone book. You can look at billboards at times and say, you know, if, you, if there's been malpractice, give us a call and we'll help you, you know, get some money out of the deal. The doctor is not the problem, even if he made a legitimate mistake. We're in a spiritual battle. I'm not saying whether he should pay or not. That's not the issue. But we're in a battle. Spiritually. With the enemy. He's real. He's out to kill. He's out to destroy. He's out to ruin relationships. And he'll do everything under the sun to accomplish that. But he'll never say, I'm guilty of tempting you. He tempts us to doubt his existence. We believe he exists, but he tempts us to 
doubt his existence. The world in which we live basically don't really believe in his existence. But it is a temptation that he brings our way. A third one that the enemy uses to tempt us. He tempts us and lures us to live our Christian life in our own strength and ability rather than in dependency upon Christ and walking in the Spirit. Let's go to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. Gospel of John, begin reading with verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're ready clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Christ, speaking to his apostles, says, you know, you've got to remain in me. In Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, Paul clearly states concerning Christ. Colossians 3 and verse 1, Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then will you also appear with him in glory. Christ is our life. We can't live the Christian life. We can't. I'm trying so hard to live the Christian life. Quit trying. I'm trying to forgive someone. Quit trying. I'm trying to be kind. Quit trying. I'm trying to read my Bible. Quit trying. Christ is your life. So recently, the Lord and I had a battle. Because he said, Dan, it's, you know, in light of something that has happened, you need to forgive someone. <clears throat> and in my book, it was a big offense. <clears throat> my initial thinking was, don't want to do that. You know, I was hurt. They were wrong. I thought, well, I guess I can try. As I tried, I never made any headway. I had to come to the point and say, Lord, I can't forgive. I don't have the resources in myself to forgive. Christ is my life.
I can't live the Christian life. We can't live the Christian life. But the enemy says, just try a little bit harder, try a little bit harder, try a little bit harder. And the more we try, the more frustrated we become. And the more we get upset at God because he doesn't seem to be helping us. And his point is, quit trying. Say, God, I can't. I don't have the ability. Christ is my life. Help me to respond in a godly way. I want to. So we get up tomorrow morning. Lord, the enemy tempts me that I need to really try to live godly today. I want to be sensitive to you. I want to be responsive to you. I want your spirit to work in me. But I don't have the strength in in and of myself to live godly today. Your spirit's going to have to work through me. Christ is my life. And then as the kids come walking through the house with their dirty shoes, and you're ready to grab them and shake them and give them a good lecture, and the Spirit of God gives you a response. I'm thankful my kids have feet to get dirt on to walk through my house. You say, we don't respond that way. I know we don't. But through Christ, our responses begin to change. Our desires begin to change. I'll give you an example. Today, Ruth Ann, this afternoon, Ruth Ann said something to me. And I responded very graciously. And afterward, I thought to myself, because of the nature of what was said, I'm tempted not to respond like that because I get into the picture. The Spirit of God gave me a gracious response. Ruth Ann never knew what went through my head. She doesn't need to know. If she wants to, I'm willing to tell her. But there's no value in that. The Spirit of God worked. But that's not for me. That's not the way I normally respond. As we recognize Christ as our life, our desires begin to change. We just don't desire some things anymore because Christ is at work in us. I tend to be quite detailed in how I use my time, you know, and I don't like to waste time, whatever wasting time is. So I have already gone up to Wilkes-Barre to visit someone in the hospital and found that they're not in the hospital. But I was told they were in the hospital. Now that's, what, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever. Depends on your speed. I know I'm a slow driver, so probably 40 minutes for me. Get up there and go in, not there, come home. My natural response to that is lousy hospital system. They ought to know what's going on with their patients to get upset. As I recognize I can't live the Christian life, the Spirit of God gives me a response of, well, that's too bad. I didn't get to visit the person. 
Sorry about the hospital, but you know, it's been a good time to talk to God. And I can drive home at a leisurely pace and not be upset whatsoever. But if I'm getting out of the hospital, I think, oh, there's people, you know, they're just spending it, wasting a half hour of my time getting here, another half hour going home, this is good. Oh, now, Dan, you better calm down here and you don't get upset. God, I can't respond correctly. Christ is my life. Please. The enemy wants us to try harder. Christ wants us to simply rest and rely in him. There's a big, big difference. It's kind of like you're sitting in the chair and trying to make sure you don't get too much weight in the chair, but in the process you're getting weight in the floor. Relax. Sit in the chair. Relax, rest in Christ. Yes, we talk to him. We say, Lord, I struggle with this, but Christ is my life. I can't handle this. I can't respond in a godly way. I can't live the Christian life. It's Christ who is at work in me. That doesn't mean we don't renew our mind. (laughs) It doesn't mean we don't choose to obey, but we recognize in the process that Christ is the one who works through us. The enemy tempts us to live the Christian life in our own strength. Christ is our life. And the Spirit produces responses in us as we recognize we can't live the Christian life. It's got to be lived through Christ. I'll give you an example in closing. There's some things in life that I struggle with that are difficult for me to deal with. And that's been changing over the years, and this might sound like a minor thing, but it's a guy thing I know. More guy than lady thing. I hate when people pass me and cut in front of me and then don't go to speed limit. I hate when someone's in my tail. No, stay back there. And I just feel like jamming on my brakes and hitting the gas, and hopefully I don't get hit. I'll teach you a lesson. I don't like to follow someone going through a 35-mile-an-hour zone at 15-mile-an-hour, 20-mile-an-hour. Drive the speed limit. People don't like me to go 35 in a 35-mile-an-hour zone either. Maybe they tell me to speed, but that's beside the point. God through Christ, has been changing that. So a guy can come up, or a lady, whichever, pass me, pull in front of me, cut me off. I'm not sure what his problem is, but 
that's okay, just slow down. Someone can beat my tail and the thought would go through my mind, oh, you ought to just jam on your brakes and then take, oh, Dan, that's not a good response. I can drive relaxed. Because Christ is my life. And you pick, can pick your own out. How the enemy lures us to think, try harder. And God is saying, rely, depend. I dare you to do this. Have a person stand on either side of you, and a person in front of you, and a person behind you. Close your eyes, and then let yourself fall in any given direction, trusting them to catch you. That's what Christ wants us to do, to simply rely on the fact that Christ is our life. But the enemy whispers, You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Try harder. God says, rely, rely, rely. Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy. Thank you for working in our lives and giving us some insight as to how the enemy works. We know he works. I think we've all been there. We've all battled time and time again. May we recognize how he lures us to doubt and live and respond accordingly. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.